1: Today, I'm sitting down with Tyler Thompson. Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, RJ. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So uh, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing.
0: Yeah, sure. So I work in the Northwest Arkansas market. I'm from Bentonville, Arkansas. I was born and raised here originally, and uh, I guess, uh, so I was... uh, a teenager that had some problems, you know, didn't what wasn't really on the right path, and uh, somehow uh, had the wherewithal to join the uh, the military. So it's a big deal to me. You and I are recording this uh, on nine eleven, which is which is huge. And uh, you know, I always, as you as you know, I'm a big proponent of the military. Any. Uh, young men or women that aren't on the, on the right path. It's really what set my life, uh, on the, on the right track. So, right. um, that being said, um, joined the, joined the army right out of high school, got to spend some time in, uh, in, uh, the special operations field and psychological operations. I kind of jumped out of airplanes and talked on radios and stuff, which was awesome. Got to be a, a part of some, some big things. So that was cool. And, uh, I grew up on a chicken farm, uh, working, working really hard and doing something that I knew I didn't want to do forever. And I thought, uh, you know, we're the, we're the headquarters for Walmart. So I thought I was going to be a, a corporate guy actually originally. And, uh, while I was in the military, I kind of started picking up some real estate books. I think the first one was a book called one minute millionaire, um, kind of started realizing what was, what was possible there from, uh, creating wealth through real estate. So, uh, After the military, I kind of jumped into into college, um, spent some time in the transportation industry, corporate world, and uh, continuing to read real estate investment books. And uh, in 2005, early 2005, March actually of 2005, I uh, bought my first property with a business partner, one of my best friends, we're still really good friends, Um, bought that property owner finance, um, no money down, and uh, flipped that thing and made about thirty thousand bucks, which uh, you know, split with my business partner. And we actually started an LLC at that point. And uh, all the books that I read kind of pointed towards uh, foreclosure auctions at the courthouse steps. So I thought I had a lot of knowledge on that. We started researching the sales when they're held and you know, going out and looking at the properties ourselves, and spent uh, about two months i guess going to unsuccessfully going to foreclosure sales there was a lot of guys up there buying that didn't want us you know competing and things like that and we just kind of built relationships with those guys the people at the auction um you know kind of circling back to this industry is a lot about who you know and the relationships you build so um built some relationships with those guys um just one day out of the blue they were like hey you guys take these two properties and they were they were good deals Um, So we jumped on those two properties and uh, we're filling out the paperwork at the end of the auction. They were like, yeah. So uh," we spent, I think around 150 grand that day. And like I said, we had 30,000 between the two of us. And uh, he's like, yeah, so uh, all you got to do is wire the money off by noon tomorrow to this law firm. Here's the account number. And we were like, well, hold up. That's uh, 24 hours. So, uh, when you talk about raising private money, I'd never heard of like raising private money, right? So we we already had a relationship built with a banker because we coached his kid in baseball and um, had kind of talked to him about what we were trying to do. So we thought we were going to walk in there and put thirty thousand down, get a loan on these houses, and and uh, do all the work we ourselves like we did on the on the previous one, and uh, ended up actually beating the bushes. Uh, had a had a real estate agent we had built a relationship with, and called her and told her the the problem. So she ended up loaning us, I think, ninety thousand dollars off of a line of credit she had in exchange for getting the listings on these two properties. When we we're done with them, that brought us to one hundred twenty thousand. And uh, it's cool to hear Tim Bratt speak because he actually bought his first property on a credit card. Also, right. um, I'm maxed out. Uh, my credit card is like $20,000 in cash withdrawals, which cost 1200 bucks in fees. So uh, that got us to within about 10,000. I think we borrowed like 2,500 from one person and just kind of chicken scratch the rest of it around and ended up getting that done in 24 hours, which is uh, looking, then it was like, hey, that's huge. But like looking back now and getting to spend some time uh, with, uh people that are more experienced in rooms like the investor fuel room and and kind of having the opportunity to talk to people on the internet, guys that are just starting out and things like that. That's that's huge and I like it because that shows like, hey, I was 25 years old and you know didn't even know what kind of pressure I was under. And it it is possible, you know, we didn't have the money to do it. We just made it happen. That money is out there. You just you have to ask for it, right? And that's right. uh that's uh Kind of you know some of the guys in the room talked about you know you you got to ask for it but you're not going to get it
1: so absolutely uh, man i always say the answer is always no until you ask you know i mean uh it's very important to to broadcast your needs in business and especially with raising private capital and i mean that's incredible that that realtor was willing to loan y'all ninety thousand dollars just to get two listings on properties i mean do you think that's kind of a product of y'all being in a smaller remote location in the fact that there was just a need to, to acquire those listings on her part?
0: Um, she was a good realtor and successful. And that was Oh five. So we we're in a, in a hot, you know, it was a hot market at the time. And, um, you know, I, I think it was more a subject of, uh, more a matter of, building, we had already built a relationship with her. She had, she had listed and sold, um, the property, the property that we own or financed before. So she was a little bit older than us. She was probably in her mid thirties at the time. And just, I think just, and she had been a successful investor herself. I think she just saw some potential and, you know, knowing that those two listings could turn into a hundred. So, um, I think it was more about the relationship than anything really when it, when it comes down to it. Um, and just it, it, people, Especially people with money, um, want they want to help people. You know, in general, people who are already successful. I mean, I think right. you, you and I are the same way. We, we want to help uh, people. And I can't remember the exact quote or where it came up. It may come up in our group somewhere. But um, if you want to get free information, ask a, ask a wealthy person, right? They'll gladly, it may have been a book that I was reading, but wealthy people will help uh, people that they see potential in free of charge. Um, you know, people who are still up and coming want to charge you for, for information. And there's nothing wrong with that at right. all. But uh, maybe there's a, you know, if, you, if, if you're out there and you're listening and you know someone that's really successful, I would bet you 100 bucks you go talk to that person and say, hey, I'd like to have lunch uh, with you and hear your story, they're probably going to do it. Um, Absolutely. Not the next person will you know, know, and that's,
1: it's it's funny you say that though, because a lot of times I want to share things that I've learned over the past couple of years, just so it, it, because I learned it the hard way, you know, and it's like, I want people to hear it and, and realize like, Hey, this is what I've learned. Don't, don't go through the struggles that I went through. Just listen to what I'm saying and, and realize this could be the end result. And, uh, It is funny that you kind of bring that up, that, you know, wealthy people are willing to give away information. And and nowadays you see so many people host hosting masterminds and meetups. You know, here in DFW, we have a meetup tonight that Propelio hosts. There'll probably be five, six, seven hundred people there completely free. And it's just a room full of just knowledge. I mean, it's crazy the amount of knowledge in that room. And it's just you can literally just walk up you don't even have to say anything you can just literally walk up to a conversation and just stand there and you can just gain knowledge just by listening to other people have a conversation so yes the information is definitely out there and so if you're beginning or you're you're trying to get started go to these meetups like you said ask people to go to lunch and the the information will be readily available for you so after you you took down these properties Did you continue going to the auctions? Did you figure out how to master that strategy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, just real quick to jump back to what you're saying, I mean, it's, I think about it every day, like we're in an amazing time right now. In, In 2005, when I started, I had books, that's it, you know, and, 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 you know, like this agent who had done some investing, but if you're out there listening, I mean, just the fact that you have all of these podcasts to listen to, you've got these meetups, none of that existed. Um, back then. So, I, I mean, I think it's awesome for all of you guys that are starting out. But, um, yeah, to jump back forward to, so we bought and sold those, or took those two houses down. We did all the work ourselves, got them on the market. We were in, you know, still in 05, hot market. We turned them around quick, and I think we made um, about 30000 each. So, and let me rewind for just a second. It, we bought that owner finance house in March. In August, we bought these two uh, houses at the courthouse steps and I quit my job. Um, I was like, you know what? I saw the potential in these properties, but I didn't have the time to do it quickly. Kind of started out over there nights and weekends. And I was just like, this is, this is not working. And I was making 32,000 a year and I was going to make, you know, 45 in six months doing this real estate thing. And I was like, I've got to concentrate here. So, um, kind of pop the parachute there, you know, and just jumped, jumped headfirst into it. But yeah, so we, we made you know around 90 grand in six months. Continu- continued going to foreclosure auction. We were just rolling that. I was 25, no kids, no family. Uh, we actually <clears throat> both moved out of the the houses that we were renting and started living in these foreclosures. Like, we would just <laughs> <laughs> grab the you know the company's paying the payment and the insurance and all that stuff. It's a free place to live, and and we took. Uh, the best of our crappy furniture that we had and we moved we, we were doing our own staging essentially you know just like two two polo shirts in the closet and just we were <laughs> extremely portable so we we're hopping around from house to house which was really cool and making making money and living you know essentially um, for free and I guess that was the early stages of like we talk about letting someone else pay your pay your debts and stuff. And that was kind of an early trial by fire education and that. But yes, so we continue to go to uh, the courthouse steps. We ended up, you know, and I always say, I've been extremely blessed and um, opportunity doesn't knock twice. You got to put yourself in the in the right position. If you're, if you're not out there looking for it, it's not going to come around. But we bought a property, um, a 10 acre property in a really great location. Uh, for fifty grand, I think it was like fifty grand. The property appraised for one eighty, uh, whatever the percentage breaks out to, I don't know. But the bank gave us a line of credit on that property for like one fifty. So we had like gone from literally no money to two hundred thousand dollars at our disposal in like eight months, and we were just off to the races. We would take these properties down for cash, um either cash we had or against the line of credit, we'd refi out of them at usually 100% based on, um, you know, the price we're buying them for 50, 50, 60 uh, cents on the dollar. And we'd refi out of them, uh, do all the, the uh, renovations. At that point, we started using subcontractors and stuff to do most of the work Um, refi out of them, just keep going. And I think the first year we, the first 12 months we've probably flipped like five properties the next year we flipped like eight and then all high margin stuff we're in a, a, a small market so as you as you know us us fix and flip guys the the margins are higher in a lot of cases but uh cash runs short you know so we were doing as many as we as we could um in 2009 uh we both got married within like six months of each other and You know, just kind of had to split the business up. It was an amicable, there was enough deals to go around. Neither one of us were greedy. So we just kind of split off, created our own entities, and we'd go the courthouse steps. And we had it, had it, uh, the, the market had crashed. And just what that meant was the deals were fatter, honestly, because if you had a property that was, you know, worth a hundred and let's say 130,000 and the people have been paying on it for 10 years and they got it knocked down to like the low 100s, well the bank at the courthouse steps, and this is something for everybody to make a note on uh, for the future when the market turns again, they can take two-thirds of what's owed on that property. So say there's a $100,000 balance, they can sell that courthouse steps for $66,000. So we're buying a lot of those houses, you know, worth one hundred and thirty after repair value for sixty-six thousand dollars. You know, we're knocking down thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars per per deal and doing like twelve a year. Um, so that was really what what got my start and uh, kind of got a wrench um, thrown in my in my cogs. I guess in two thousand eleven, somebody sued the state of Arkansas um, over the. Uh, statutory foreclosure processes, which statutory is the one that uses a clause in the mortgage that basically says, the, if you meet these certain terms, as far as not making a payment for 90 days, blah, blah, blah. They can foreclose on you without a judge having to sign off on it. That shut down about 80% of the foreclosures in my market for almost two years. Wow. I I had to find something to do. I didn't have a job. I had some money, but my wife was like, give me the mean eye, you know, like, what are you doing? I'm, playing golf and fishing and kind of just doing whatever <laughs> we want. So, um, you and I kind of talked offline and we talked b- before about the, the roofing company. So what I actually did was I bought a franchise, um, little disclaimer, stay away from franchises, um, <laughs> bought a franchise in the restoration industry. So we did uh, work similar to uh surf pro that's not the franchise we bought, but I probably, well, I know I can't mention it. They'll sue me. But, um, so Bought that franchise, spent a ton of money getting that up and going, and I just really wasn't happy from the very beginning, and it wasn't that profitable, so I ended up um, buying out of my contract with the franchise, took that thing independent, built it up as a business, and I sold it, and I owner-financed a large portion of that, which we're still getting revenue um, from today, but while I was in the restoration industry, I kind of got pulled into roofing and... um, I enjoyed that business. Um, I enjoyed building things. We built some custom homes, um, really nice high end custom homes, uh, which I don't, I don't really do anymore because it was one of those things like you probably get this too, like the shiny object syndrome and a challenge. Yep. So we did that. We executed well and, uh, had kind of along those lines an office manager embezzled a ton of money from me. And, uh, I've been flipping two or three houses a year and make a good money flipping houses. And that's what I really enjoyed. So at that point, I kind of got tied in with, um, Mike Hambright and got into his, uh, his investment program, which was huge and started learning direct seller marketing. And that's kind of, uh, where we're at today. We still have the roofing company, um, through working with Gary and Susan Harper, mainly on the roofing company we've set up, uh, that thing, and we have it running like a machine. I don't spend a lot of time in that business. We actually just wrapped up a level 10 meeting right before you called. We have a level 10 every every Tuesday morning. <clears throat> I meet with those guys for about an hour, um, and it's, it's, spitting off, it's spitting off good income, and I'm not spending a ton of time on it, which is a goal that should be your goal as an entrepreneur is to not work in your business but get to work on your business. I spent about two hours at lunch with an insurance agent last week just talking to him about about my business and that's the part as a business owner you should be doing um as to where before i was out there selling roofs and managing projects and managing rehabs and all this stuff but i've i spend 95 percent of my time right now is focused on on real estate and building a business around that and learning i'm still learning uh direct seller marketing we've been doing that for about a year and I learned so much all the time from you know everybody in our in our circle really, and just listening to podcasts and things like that. And it's been huge. It's uh, it's been do awesome. You think,
1: do you think you're going to be able to use those tools that you learn from Gary and Susan Harper in the roofing business and translate that into your real estate investing business?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But you know, RJ, be honest with you, I really enjoy. Right or wrong, I really enjoy being in my real estate company. It's it's my passion. Rehabbing houses is my passion. Making large amounts of money that enable me to focus on my why is my passion. And and while yes, we want to do that, um, um, you know, smart. I don't want to create a situation where I stop generating income when I decide I want to work less. We're moving towards that, but slower. You know, and I mentioned. Um, at investor fuel the other day, if I don't want to do something, I don't do it. And I didn't mean that from a standpoint of being lazy. I, I do work hard, but I also have set myself up to where um, if I wanna if I want to take off and go kayaking or fishing for the day with my son or something, I can I can do that. I've got everything kind of set up there. And if there's something I've started identifying things within the business that I don't like doing. And uh, we've outsourced that to other people and we're helping helping them grow, you know. So I don't really see in this market um, ever having the amount of leads that we need to deal on the scale with, like, what, what you guys are doing and what, what Jamie's doing and things like that. I just don't need that large of a machine, you know. So I just kind of do the things that I, I like doing and through Gary and Susan also have helped me focus on, like, I'd never taken – you know a personality test or whatever you want a colby or a disc or anything like that and i'm an extremely high d extremely low s like i I need to be out there meeting with people and working with subcontractors on getting things done and and you know driving this big truck down the road and 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 not you know loading it at the dock so um I just kind of, through that, yeah, it is, you know, we are developing that that system, but I I pretty much set my days up how how I want to, and that's uh, the goal of being an entrepreneur is not, for me anyway, is not to not work, but enjoy what you do and make it possible, you
1: know? So let's talk about rehabbing these houses. You have the roofing company. Does the roofing company help you in rehabbing the properties, or are you hiring outside contractors?
0: Totally separate. Through the, after the embezzlement thing, we kind of did a, a huge reorg. Um, the financial situation for the construction company was not good. It was actually really bad. And uh, I never fired anyone. No one ever didn't get paid, including subcontractors. Everybody got paid on time. I was pulling money out from my personal account to make it work and everything. But as people left and also in you know, trying to mentor people. I was like, Hey, you know, people that I knew weren't a good fit before we just had this large operation and I had to have them, even though I knew it wasn't a good fit for them. So I kind of helped people get other jobs without saying like, you're fired. You know, I never had to fire anybody really, except for the guy that was smoking weed in the company truck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The joys of having employees, right? That's another reason, like with the real estate company, like employees are tough man i love mentoring people i love working with people but finding the right person is is really hard um that's why you should you know people should be listening to these guys that are really good at at hiring um you know and and find a mentor that can help you once you get ready to build your business I've, i've had some help you know from several different people on how to hire but uh never really had to let anybody go um but we just kind of reorganized. We're all, you know, the opposite of Ryan. Ryan was talking about doing everything in-house. We went, we were on that model, and we went completely the other direction. We we sub we subcontract out uh, everything with the roofing company, except for project management and sales. Um, so we don't have any of that stuff going on i mean we've got tractors excavators we we had this huge focus or, or not focus i guess the opposite of the focus but we were excavating basements and doing waterproofing and uh we were pulling you know petra stone off of houses and re waterproofing stuff that had water damage and doing roof riff- we just had all this crap going on and and through looking at it but i was able to call out what was not profitable and what was the most labor intensive and we concentrate 100% right now on uh Um, roofing. And that's enabled us to grow our commercial roofing side, which has been extremely profitable. And I'm super excited about that. Everybody in the company is excited about it. So um, we're actually, you know, becoming more and more successful, but they are two totally separate animals. I talk about the real estate business in our level 10 roofing, just because I want those guys to know what I have going on. They don't see me a whole lot. They may think I'm out, you know, just messing around or something. But I, t- I talked to them about what we've got going on, um, things like that. But I don't use – I don't even – hey, if I need a house unlocked, I don't even call those guys to do it. I don't care if they're next door. It's totally – it's I keep it totally separate. So Gotcha. Um, do, you I was, kind of I, view,
1: do you view the roofing company as like a source of passive income at this point in time?
0: That, at this time, yes. And I see that continuing to grow. We actually – you know have uh i'm gonna i'm i talked to these guys uh, a couple months ago a year from now i'm gonna pretty much gonna step out i've got somebody identified to run the the roofing company pretty much i'm gonna step even further away from that and and g- just meet with him like once a week to look at number or once a month to look at numbers make sure everything's going well we've got somebody in the office that's helping us now doing things that uh myself and the bookkeeper were doing before so even more so yeah we're moving towards that passive income and for people who are in smaller markets um yeah it's not a it's not a bad idea once you get your construction knowledge down to maybe start a side gig it's not easy you're going to work a lot of hours i spent you know a lot of time a lot of time and efforts and learning the school hard knocks to make that happen but um it is going to become a really good source of uh passive income and an asset. I mean, anytime you can build up a small uh, business that's kicking off uh, profits every year, that's something you can sell. So it's an investment like anything else. And and that's kind of my idea. We're bringing uh, one of the guys who's in on, on a, a profit sharing and, and he's gaining ownership in the company every year. And my plan is to build something up for him and then you know step back a little further and just maybe being able to sell my portion to him uh, over time or something like that.
1: That's cool. See, we're doing a similar thing in titanium investments. You know, my partner, Elijah Della Garza in Hawaii, he owns roofing solutions and roofing solutions is a local roofing contractor in Hawaii. And he's been a roofing contractor in Colorado, Arizona, uh, Florida, Texas. And so he's had these aspirations to having roofing solutions be a nationwide company. And I've had the aspirations of having titanium investments as a nationwide company and what we've learned is is we went a little bit of a different path is that roofing solutions with having all of the subcontractors because yes the company is a roofing company but it's more of like a full service general contractor we just turned that into we were hiring staff for not only our clients on the roofing solution side but also for Titanium Investments. Titanium Investments is essentially a client of Roofing Solutions. So we hire Roofing Solutions to do our rehabs. And now that enables us to, when we go to a new market, like we just went to Alaska, we immediately now set up Roofing Solutions Alaska. And now we are going to hire our contractors to do the roofing jobs, but also do our rehabs. And so it's just kind of a reciprocal relationship. So now every time we go into a new market, we're setting up three entities. We have Titanium Realty, which is our brokerage, Titanium Investments, which is the investment firm, and then Roofing Solutions, which is our roofing company slash rehab company. And so that's kind of like our strategy. But I definitely agree that if you're in a smaller market, look at a roofing company as an opportunity to kind of supplement your growing needs in your investment company, it's yeah. just it's a it's not a very difficult business. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Roofing is a pretty simple business to get into.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, you literally, you know, with a with a pickup truck, you you want to have some knowledge, you know. And that they, they say like seventy five percent of roofing companies fail, um, but it's not that hard to get into, which is the reason I think you see that attrition rate. Um, you get a lot of people who don't have the the skills and the people skills and the knowledge to do it that jump in, and it's like grand opening, grand closing, all in the same month, you know. Um,
1: but, but, if, but going, but on that note, a lot of it is because they're storm chasers. So yeah, a, a storm hits, you know, St. Louis, Missouri. And somebody might go and set up an entity for that and then next year a storm hits in Phoenix, Arizona, and they're they're leaving St. Louis behind because they've gotten everything they needed there from that storm. And because a lot of times roofing contractors don't understand that there's a lot more there's a lot of ways to sell jobs besides just insurance restoration work. Absolutely. Yeah, and like you said, what you've done is is you've gone the commercial side. And that's, like, the next step. When you go to that step and you start selling commercial roofs, that's kind of when you've solidified yourself as, like, a actual roofing contractor in your market.
0: Right. Yeah. It takes time to get there. And it takes net worth. I mean, Arkansas is kind of a different animal. We have very strict uh, contractor licensing requirements. So it's a little bit different. But I know, like, if you go over to Oklahoma, um, the barrier to entry there is is less. Um, but we get a ton of, like... To to you know, back up what you're saying. We don't storm chase. Uh, you know, we pick up if we have storms here, which we do, pretty regularly. We obviously pick up that work, but we absolutely crush it, stealing um, good customers and good insurance uh, referral sources from other companies that will pick up and move everybody to Tulsa. You know, they've been here forever and they're not leaving, but they'll pick up and go to Tulsa or Kansas city or St. Louis to chase a storm. And then Joe state farm agent calls them and has a customer that has an issue. And they're like, well, sorry, it's going to be three weeks or, you know, sorry, everybody's in St. Louis. Well, we're the, hopefully the next call, you know, right then we just walked down that person's business forever. Right. Um, We stay in our area. We've established ourselves as, as kind of a boutique company. We, we do cost a little more, but we've got, you know, really nice vehicles. We have <clears throat> have the best warranty. You know, we just established establish, establish ourselves as a as a great business, and that's something. If someone's already in a smaller market working on on uh, real estate stuff, and, and it's it's there for you to do. It's a, you know, I would say less than five grand to start, uh, maybe less than that. Start a set up an entity. Um, Set up an entity, get any licensing requirements, insurance requirements that you need, and, and have go set up a 30-day account at a supply house if you have good credit, you know, and, and there you go. Just make sure you get paid in less than 30 days. Make sure you take care of your subcontractor. Um, right. And Here's another
1: thing, guys, that y'all need to understand. is like you might be listening to this and saying, yeah, I kind of wanted to hear about real estate investing, not about roofing. But this is reciprocal and in in my business, the roofing company helps the real estate investing company on uh, many different levels. Another way that it benefits the real estate investing businesses is you have salesmen going out and selling roofs. Those essentially now become bird dogs for the real estate investing company. They're out there, they're beating the streets, they're in the neighborhoods. Maybe it's not the house that they go run a lead on but maybe the next door neighbor has got overgrown grass and boarded up windows. Boom, snap a picture, and then we can skip trace it, and then the investment company can take over and and run that lead. But the two businesses are very reciprocal, at least here at Titanium, and uh, in like for, for Tyler here, it's just a, a source of passive income in a smaller market, and I think that's very creative how you've been able to do that.
0: I'm going to read so, this. I'm going to read this text real quick, RJ. I got from one of the project managers yesterday. Um, Met this customer at Home Depot last week, asked for two estimates for repair and replacement. His wife just died, and he is now selling his home. He just replaced an air conditioner, but roof needs replacement, and there are a couple of other things wrong with the house. Older guy, I believe he is 78. This guy asked, uh, my, my salesman said, hey, the owner of our company buys and sells houses. Asked this dude, and he was like, yeah, have him call me. Literally what you just said happened yesterday. Yep.
1: And it happens all the time. I mean, as you grow the roofing company, you get more salesmen, and more salesmen create more opportunities not only for the roofing company but also for the investment company. And that's how it becomes reciprocal, and that's how you almost become a serial entrepreneur at that point in time, where it's yep. like you you start seeing these opportunities and you're like, okay, If I can get out of my business, like Tyler said, he's not in his roofing business, he's just working on it. And so now when you can get out of that business and you can start implementing these, like what we refer to as like company culture. I mean, that to me is amazing that that roofing salesman or or project manager looked at that situation and thought to himself, "This there's not a commission structure or anything probably set up for him. But obviously he's going to get compensated for something for bringing you that lead. But that company culture made him think, hey, I need to let Tyler know about this. I need to let this gentleman know that, you know, my boss buys houses. And that's just that's part of getting out of the business, working on it, working with your people, having those level 10 meetings. Um, It's just if you're at a level In your company where you think you can work on your business and maybe create something else look at these different opportunities and see if this might be a good fit for you so Tyler going back to real estate investing and I know we're kind of coming up on our time frame here where where do you want to take your investing business in the next five years kind of what are your goals in the real estate side of things
0: you know what I'm looking at we work two different markets and and one of the guys um, in the group mentioned uh, during his presentation, you're, he said something and, and it, touching on masterminds. If you're, not, if you're not going to meetups, if you're not going to masterminds, you should be because it's like something you catch these things, these golden nuggets, right? That are like obvious. They should be obvious. And after you hear them, you think, well, you dumb butt, you should have known that. But somebody mentioned, yeah, in my rental market, this, in my flip market, that. And I, I'm working two totally different markets, about an hour apart, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then Northwest Arkansas. Fort Smith, Arkansas is and should be a rental market. I never really identified it like that. I've, you know, thought, like, approach everything the same way I approach it in Northwest Arkansas, but um, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, get my rental portfolio up to I want to get to a hundred houses um, by the by the end of 2020. Um, you know, just developing that more in a passive income. It's really hard to to turn away. I was actually talking to somebody about it yesterday to just look at a thirty thousand dollar profit and and think, well, this could be three hundred dollars a month. It's it's hard to do, but when you put that down on paper in the long run, it it makes sense to do that if you if you can. I mean, I started out flipping houses, went into went into rental property and, uh, I talked with the, the younger guys in the group a lot about net worth because it's been very important to me from a borrowing prospect. We don't use any private money right now to take down properties. We're all cash. Um, but I couldn't do that without borrowing against equity that I have in other, in other properties and they're paying off much better than it would have been if I would have sold them 10 or 15 years ago, you know? Um, so I guess going forward, building that building, concentrating more on building that, uh, rental portfolio. Um, we're, I'm not sure that I'm running with the herd on this, but I'm, I'm going to go to a a multifamily seminar in, uh, October, maybe looking to do some apartment deals in other markets. Um, we're kind of looking, I know you do some stuff in Tulsa and I've, I've been wanting to talk to you about that. Maybe, uh, getting on a, some cash buyer list. We, created some landing pages uh, in Tulsa, maybe picking up some deals there. It's about a two hour drive, not super exciting, but for a a flip market, if I can make that work just to get more deals. I mean, we've created the machine now. So um, just kind of to expand, I guess, and build that passive, whether it's through multifamily projects or just adding, I'm going to add to the single family. I'm a big single family guy when it comes to building uh, wealth. I, I like, uh, The model, you know, and it's done, it's served us well in the past. Um, The other thing we do worth mentioning, you know, is, is Airbnb. Like you and I've talked about, we've got five uh, properties. We're kind of a, we've got a a big museum here. It's a big draw. We're becoming one of the top mountain bike destinations in the U S and we've got five Airbnb properties that I actually met with the accountant about it the other day to see how they were doing, because they are kind of a pain. They can be kind of a pain, even though I'm, I'm like, 30 percent of that business i'm in on a lot more than i want to be and i was just kind of looking at it like is this is it worth it you know and the accountant was like yeah you're you're crushing it on this airbnb stuff so uh we're doing that and and just kind of the like you and i spoke about earlier it's just kind of from a business perspective and marketing just a in, in a smaller market it's just a kind of a shotgun approach um try to be Try to try to develop these systems one at a time. Whether it be starting with direct mail, become a you know narrow that list down, figure out what's working, become an expert in that, and then move on to online or vice versa or whatever, and then move on to probates and try to become an expert in probates and you know so on and so forth.
1: Um, on those Airbnb's, do you have project manager or property managers, or do you self manage those?
0: Um, I have I have a person that cleans those, and and she's she gets all the cleaning fees and she's on a commission as far as the gross, the gross booking amount. She handles about, she handles all the cleaning um, and probably about 70% of the messages and the issues that pop up. I get, I get brought in, um, you know, on some, on some problems. (laughs) Unfortunately, Airbnb is becoming more popular with the uh, baby boomer generation, I guess we would say. So I kind of joke about that. Like, they want somebody to come over and help them put their iPhone on Wi-Fi, and it's that, and that's that's been a, the biggest source of headache over the last like year with Airbnb is just more and more of the older generation that are just not tech savvy. But you, essentially, if you do reading on Airbnb or uh, Uber or any of the their apps, they're not like it's not a vacation home property or company. It's a freaking app, you know, right and if you're not up on that technology, it can be stressful for them, which ends up being stressful for me, you know, and we got high-speed uh, door locks that you have. You get a code in your email, and none of them, you know, anybody, most people over 60 don't get the email. <laughs> my, <laughs>
1: my, two favorite, my two favorite complaints about Airbnbs that we had were, the first one was, um, I'm mad that you don't have a Keurig and you just have a regular coffee pot. And they were serious. They really wanted yeah. me to go buy them a Keurig. Happens all, all the time. Yeah. And then the second one was, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like, you only have 18 towels and I need 19. Right. Yeah. And it was like, what? And it was like a, a stupid number. It was like for like five guests. It's right. it's like, what, what, why do you need an additional one towel? Yeah. Like, how did you even come up with that? it you know, it, that's something to be, it just, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And it is what it is. I mean, yeah. I, I tell people that haven't done it, just realize you're you are not, it's not a rental property anymore. You're essentially running like a mini hotel. Yeah. So you're going to get those complaints.
0: I get people all the time ask me about it. And I'm like, you know, one uh, is a pain in the butt. Five is a business. We've got five, we've built it into a business now. It's but just one if you're looking at starting you have to start somewhere i guess but gosh right. it's like a huge difference between having five and having one and once you get the cleaning checklist and the systems down and all that stuff and our response to the keurig thing because you're right we get it all the time is they're not sanitary we got that from other people that would complain we had keurigs in uh, right. the first couple and people would be like you shouldn't put keurigs on the, in these they're not sanitary which i don't even, I mean, I drink coffee out of, I drink it black out of a pot and I don't care. Um, but we just say, well, we don't use Keurig's because it is a, a vacation rental and they're not that sanitary and people are usually like, Oh, I didn't know that. You know, they're using their own Keurig at their own house and cleaning right. or whatever. So, but yeah, it's, I, I, I have been able to relax a little bit on it because I just label these things shenanigans. And for some reason <laughs> in my mind, if I label the towel phone call as a shenanigan, it's like, you know, just psychologically it's different than this is a pain in the ass, you know?
1: <laughs> all right, man. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about, you kind of touched base on it at the beginning of the interview. Today is 9-11. And, um, you know, I, I think for, for everyone that experienced that day back in 2001, um, we all kind of remember where we were and, and how that impacted us. At the time though you were in the military, correct? That's so, correct. It, talk to me a little bit about what that what kind of impact that had on you as a, a member of the military and and kind of what this day means to you as someone that experienced that day and was already, you know, protecting our country and, <laughs> and serving our country.
0: Oh, that's that's tough, man. Um Yeah, I, I think this, you know, you, you got to put, you should put God first, but uh, family country, you know, and uh, I don't know, for me, like, I'm hyped up, my heart's beating right now. Like, I love this country with all of my being, and it's so disappointing right now to see, um, you know, what certain groups are, the kneeling thing, let's just address that, right? I mean, I, I, support freedom of speech. And I don't want to turn your podcast into a political soapbox, but 100% support freedom of speech. I was willing to lay down everything for that. That doesn't mean I have to be okay with somebody kneeling during the national anthem. And that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle feel like you do, you know, it doesn't have to be just because you support one wholeheartedly doesn't mean you have to support, let's say, Nike for backing Kaepernick. It's okay to not support those kind of actions, you know? Um, but, you know, for me, I think it just, I, I was always, you know, pretty patriotic being raised in the Midwest. None of my, I didn't come from like a, you know, red, white and blue military family or anything, but it's, I literally owe everything I have right now uh, to the military, to my experiences, to the guys that I worked with in the military, to the guys that are still in there, like everything, 100%. So, and, and I can't say otherwise, like there's literally, uh, the military led me to the courthouse steps, which led me to, uh, buying real estate, which led me to, you know, getting trained by Mike Hambright on how to do direct seller marketing, like it all goes back to that. My dad told me when I was like 16, son, if you don't change your ways, you're gonna be changing oil at Walmart for the rest of your life. He also told, I have a great dad, by the way, he's hard on me, you know, which is good. Um, <laughs> if you're not careful, you're gonna be wearing, uh, you're gonna be wearing your name on the sh- on your shirt, you know, for the rest of your life, stuff like that, which is fine, but I, you know, right. I've got other people wearing my name on their on their clothes now, um, and that's that's all because of the military. Like, if if you're young and you're listening to this, or, or you have a 16 or 17 year old kid that's not on the right track, like talk to them about it. Get with RJ. Get my cell phone number. Like I said in the group, I love talking about it. I love mentoring. I was on the wrong path, man, and it uh, it's not for everybody, but it did it did set me it did set me straight, and I learned uh, you know so much about. About myself uh, during that thing. So sorry if that got a well, little look, rambling. It's uh, fine. It's man. a tough it's a tough question to answer, man, because it's something that that tugs at my heartstrings. You know, it's important.
1: Absolutely. The, and and you know, for me, the, the military was something that I, I could personally never do. And and for me, that's just like identifying who I am as a person and and just knowing what my strengths and weaknesses are and i look up to the people in the military so much because you know a i'm so appreciative for for what you guys do and have done for our freedom and for our country and um you know it, th- this is a, a always a, a tough day for me um september alone is a tough month um uh, just because of you know 9 11 and then also this was the time frame in which my dad uh, fell in his house and passed away. And, uh, so there's a, a lot of emotions that kind of run through my body in September. And, um, I, I always look back at, at nine 11 and, and realize I was in high school. And, um, when it happened, there was a lot of talks about people, my age, potentially having to join the military because, you know, there was, um, it, it potential ensuing war and maybe a draft and all of these things were being talked about. And uh, I, I just look back at it now and with so much appreciation for the people that willingly sign up to do that and protect our country. And um, yeah, this is not supposed to be a political uh, uh, podcast, but I will say, I think for the people that do serve our country, they deserve all of the respect in the world. And there's plenty of platforms out there to get your message across, but showing respect to our country and the people that serve it uh, should never be that platform. That's just my opinion. So, with that being said, Tyler, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story. And uh, you know, I I think this was a little bit of a different interview. We talked about a, a lot of roofing and a lot of uh, other things, but man, I I so much appreciate um, what you do for the the people and in Investor Fuel. And so, uh, if I'm gonna wrap this interview up by telling you guys just how great of a guy Tyler is, um, at the past Investor Fuel meetup, um, I was I was sharing uh, about Beat Kids Cancer, my my nonprofit for uh, childhood cancer, and how we have our charity golf tournament coming up on October 1st, and uh, I was just explaining to the group what we do with the funds that are raised there. And, and essentially it's families turn in grant requests for, um, expenses like medical bills or car payments, mortgage payments, electric bills, just things like that, that need to get paid. And the morning of this presentation, we actually received a grant request for a tax lien on a property and it exceeded what the maximum amount we will pay to someone is. And, um, Tyler immediately, just being the guy who he is, he, he immediately said, why don't we just raise the money in this room? And uh, that was not my intentions. It was not something that I wanted to do, but I love my investor fuel family. And, uh, and immediately everybody jumped on board and we, we raised twice as much as what was needed that day for that family and we paid off that tax lien for that family whose, whose child is going through uh, cancer treatment here in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, that's just the guy that Tyler is. So Tyler, thank you so much for uh, for what you did for us that day. It meant the world, and uh, I, I don't. I think that's a, a moment that I'll never forget. My pleasure.
0: I was just running my mouth,
1: so <laughs> it just worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I I think you you kind of sometimes don't give yourself enough credit, and uh, kind of joke about you know uh, just running your mouth. But I think you're an incredible guy. So All thank right. you so much. Yeah, thanks, RJ. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the titanium vault with your host, RJ Bates, the third, for more info. And to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash the titanium vault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review and we'll catch you next time on the titanium vault.